Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host Kevin DeVries and as always if you'd like to reach us at the podcast you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Richard Burns. I'm a Manchester City fan. Um, I'm on Twitter at Richard the Burns and I'm a member of the Blue Moon Podcast. Hi, I'm Steve McGookin. Uh, I'm the former chairman of the New York Spurs, nyspurs.com, and uh, I'm also a Northern Ireland fan, so I'm uh, happy to talk about uh, either aspect of that tonight. All right, thanks to you both for joining us today. Uh, we're going to start off where basically everyone is starting off with Mourinho-y stuff, um, but we're not going to get into the antics or the losses, which I'm sure Richard finds greatly amusing. Um, yep. <laughs> but <laughs> a lot of people are suggesting that Mourinho should be sacked, that he's lost the dressing room. Uh, so I wanted to start by asking if you think, not just he, but if, if you can recall a time when a manager turned around a dressing room from one that clearly was not playing for them to kind of recommitting it and to them achieving their goals. In recent, um, in certainly in recent Premier League history, and putting it in the context of the club and the level that Manchester United are at, or at least aspire to be at, and the, the size of the club, um, although it's clearly not a realistic ambition at the moment, that's a club that has ambitions on winning the Premier League title again. Although it's been uh, it was 2013 was the last time, that's clearly where they want to be at. Um, they're a club that have aspirations of getting back to the European top table on the pitch. Clearly, they're already there off the pitch. They're still a huge, huge club. Um, I think in the context of those kind of clubs, uh, off the top of my head, no, I can't really recall a situation where it seems a manager has completely lost the dressing room. Um, and, and it does look like that at the moment. You you watch that team and it, it doesn't look like a team that are... Um, I would ne- obviously never suggest that a, a top-level team are not trying in any way or, or phoning it in, but it certainly doesn't look like a team that has any extra impetus or is particularly fighting for the manager or giving any extra to dig him out of a hole. Um, it, it looks like, at uh, the risk of stating a cliche, it just looks like classic Mourinho third season. He's picking his battles uh, very, very badly, as he quite often does at this point. Um, he's... No matter how much he denies it, he is clearly ostracised and, and alienated uh, at least one of his star players in Paul Pogba. He's failing to get the best out of another one of his star players in Sanchez, um, or should be one of his star players. It all hints at the dressing room having having fallen away from him a little bit, uh, or, or a lot. And yeah, I, I can't really recall a similar circumstance where where a manager has turned that around, or certainly, you know, I suppose it depends on what we mean by turn it around. If Mourinho was to stay for the season, I imagine he would arrest this. You wouldn't see United finishing in 10th or 11th. I'd be fairly certain of that. Um, but he won't turn it around 
I'd be fairly confident that he won't turn it around to put United in any kind of contention at the, the top end of the table. They're already a long, long way behind City and Liverpool and Chelsea for this point. Um, and yeah, I think that the, the season is already destined to fall well below uh, expectation and demand. And I think it's very, very hard to see how how that can possibly be turned around at this point. It's obviously, it's not impossible, but I don't see the foundations for it. I don't hear anything from Mourinho that says it can happen. I think it's a defeatist way of talking when a manager talks about, you've got to trust that I'm fighting every day to improve things. That isn't a Jose Mourinho kind of speech. Um, so no, it, it, the short answer is no, I can't recall a situation like this where uh, where a manager has, has dug himself out and really turned it around. I think that the best that you get in this situation is a sort of um, a holding on for the season and making the best of a bad job. And, and it really does look like a bad job at the moment. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's it's funny. I, I, for American listeners who may not really have an, an idea or a visual idea of what it means to lose a dressing room, uh, I would recommend that you watch uh, The Damned United, which is a, a great uh, mm. movie about Brian Clough when he went to Leeds and basically the the team turned against him. Uh, and so it's it, hard for a, a, a manager, no matter how skilled they are, to actually uh, get the um, uh, the players on side if they're committed to, uh, to for, uh, forming up against them. And I think, as Richard said there, I think it comes back to what your expectations are for an acceptable or successful season. Uh, and clearly, obviously, United are, you know, they put themselves in a in a different category than, than a lot of other clubs. Uh, in, in recent times, I suppose you could point to um, clubs that have found themselves in relegation difficulty and have eventually managed to pull off what's called great escapes, uh, where a club has had a, a bad run of form and that's, uh, you know, they've sunk to the table and then the manager has been able to turn that around. But that's that's primarily a form issue not a morale thing but it does sort of bring out the um who's with you and who's against you uh mentality within within the dressing room but um i, I going back a little further you know it, it, for united it's um uh, alex ferguson it's oft, it's often said it's often said that no modern manager would get the number of winless seasons uh that um, that fergie got at the start of his man united career uh, in the, just the pressures of the modern game and the modern business. But, you know, has Mourinho lost the dressing room? Clearly he's lost Pogba. Uh, but if he's lost the dressing room, then maybe he should be more concerned with, with losing the boardroom. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Although there were a lot contending that he'd lost the boardroom over the summer, which is why they weren't really investing. <clears throat> Although implying that there hadn't been millions upon millions spent the previous two summers. Would obviously it also fall. depends on who else is out there, who they can go and replace them with, if mm-hmm. that's you know what, what it comes down to. And this is one of the things that annoys me every time is, you know, it's always Pochettino's mention, Zidane, Pochettino. Those are the two names that keep coming up. And, you know, Poch has, has said, uh, you know, we went through a little wavering patch the last uh, couple of weeks ago, but uh, we seem to be back on, huh. on track now. And Poch gave that interview to Marca. Uh, the other day saying, you know, that, that he the only jobs that he wanted, the only jobs he was interested in were the Argentinian national job and, and managing Newell's, which uh, we, we knew about before. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's 
it's the soap opera that plays out on the back pages. And as, as you know, Kev, it's, it's, um, it's clickbait as much as anything else. But there is, you know, this is a team that finished second last year, for goodness sake. Yeah. And it comes to what the expectations are for uh, how they judge success on the year. Yeah, it's an excellent point. It is worth pointing out that they did finish only behind City in the title race last season. Although, it should also be noted, one of the records City broke was the amount of points in between first and second by the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> so we'll leave the Mourinho stuff there. At the time of recording, there's been no news. Uh, so it does not seem like he'll be sacked after um, the loss to West Ham at the weekend. So we'll just kind of keep you apprised. But I'm sure pretty much any outlet where you follow any football news uh, will let you know what's going on with Mourinho at any point. Um <laughs> Next up, let's talk about Fulham a little bit. Uh, we had Russ Goldman on in the preseason, and he was very excited about what Fulham could do uh, in the Premier League. They were fairly clearly the second best team behind Wolverhampton last season, and they've, they've picked up some pretty impressive results thus far. Fulham a little disappointing, though. If they were hoping for a top 10 finish their first year up, you know, it's a bit early, but it doesn't seem like that's really on track. Um, are, are you guys surprised that Fulham are struggling a little bit here at the start of the season? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, they came up with obviously the commitment and the, um, the all the talk about the, the football that they play. Um, I think at times they, re, they referred to the, the city of the championship um, in terms of the, the way they play. Clearly, not um, they, they didn't win the league, but that style of football is clearly something that Chikanovic has ingrained in him. He likes. He likes to play good football, and to be fair to him, he's not abandoned that in any way. Um, I think the the best I can talk on Fulham is uh, having seen them live at the Etihad when they played us, and the first minute um, had me worried because, as daft as this sounds, it was the best first minute I can remember a team having at the Etihad in about five years. They um, they came straight out at City, and no team does that. And there was a little bit of me thought, hang on, are we in for a, are we in for a bit of a game today? And then uh, about thirty seconds later, they'd given the ball away in the middle of the pitch, and City had scored, and they never looked like getting back into it, despite having that. Uh, Fulham never liked getting back into it, despite having that commitment to trying to play through City. I don't know whether um, I would call that naive or, I mean, it's certainly principled and I've, I've, I respect that, but they got very, very sloppy in the middle. Um, they, they could have conceded numerous times from just giving the ball away and while City were good that day, in truth, Fulham probably didn't make us work as, as hard as we should have had to for a 3-0 home win. Um Clearly, their season is not going to be defined by how they play against the likes of City. I gather, although I didn't see the game live myself, I gather they were quite good against Spurs for a while. Um, yeah. But and um, I spoke to Russ as well about that game, and and he said that same sort of thing. Djukanovic was he, he didn't sort of sacrifice anything in his principles. He wanted to go and play his way, and if that was good enough, then great. And obviously. It wasn't, but the season won't be defined by results against City and uh, against City, Spurs, and the like. Um, I think the bigger concern will be losing games like uh, like they've just lost quite a heavy defeat to uh, to Everton. Although Everton are a good team, they've not been in great winning form themselves. Fulham probably would have thought they could pick up a point there at least. Um, and the only the only win to the name is against the Burnley team that started the season in absolutely dreadful form. So. In terms of how they're playing, my only real experience is seeing them live in a game that they probably didn't expect to win and may have seen as a free hit. 
But in terms of the results, they're definitely, I think, um, below where they'd expect to be now. Yeah, I was I was at that game at Wembley when we beat them three one, and uh, there were there were moments where I mean we dominated the, the the majority of the first half, but we just we couldn't score, and there were moments where uh, you know they could have caught us on the break, and really they should have. There was one particular moment I was thinking of, but then Mura scored um, like literally with five minutes to go in the first half, beautiful goal, and up until that point he'd been you know very frustrating. Um, and and it, it, Mitrovic then equalised. It was a very very typical opening to the second half for Spurs, who you know half the team sometimes still feels like they're in the tunnel uh, for the first five minutes of the second half. And we you know it's, it was a real wakey wakey moment as well. Um, but again, I think like you say, I, it's it's tough to judge them against teams that you would expect to be in the top four, five, six. Um, uh, they they had a couple of nice uh, a couple of nice movements, but um, but you never really got the sense that that they were going to take the game by the scruff of the neck. Were, especially after we went ahead uh, at the end of the first half, they were always sort of um, trying to pull it back. But um, yeah, I, I did. I watched the highlights of the Everton game, and uh, they were very disappointing. I thought Fulham that was uh, they'd be disappointed by that outcome. Um, as well, but and and Everton haven't obviously clicked themselves particularly well this season. So uh, yeah, that's a, that's a tricky one. I mean, I just I, I think their defence is uh, is an issue. It's going to be an issue for them, and uh, they've already they've already got an, a minus eight goal difference. So that's uh, that's going to be a challenge uh, going forward. So yeah. Yeah, picking out the defence is the weak point. Uh, is uh, very astute. Uh, they are. No other Premier League team has conceded more goals this season. They're tied for last with with two other clubs right now. Um, And I think a large part of that is probably communication issues because they basically replaced their entire back line in the summer. Um, So I'm curious here, do you think that that the fact they brought in basically a whole new 11 in the offseason is affecting them on the pitch now? Um, I suppose... It's probably hard to see. Well, it's hard to see how it wouldn't be when you read across the stats and you can see that they have, like you say, the joint worst defence. Um, they're conceding plenty of goals. Uh, as I said, against City, there were lots of very, very basic errors that came not just from the defence, but that came from sort of um, the, the base of the midfield as well. Um, yeah, I think communication does play a huge part in that. When it's a, we're talking here a simple case of a, a pass being played by a midfielder. I'm pretty sure it was Seri uh, who gave the ball away for our first goal in that game, uh, and he's he's played the ball just into space. It's not like he's looked round and checked for a defender and then misjudged the pass. He's just played the ball where he thought somebody should be, which suggests that that's either he's completely hmm. uh, out of tune with the rest of his team. Or that's something that they've worked on in training and in when they work on their positional play, and then either he's misread the situation or one of his defenders has misread the situation and not pushed up. But either way, that's a communication error. Um, and I mean, well, I suppose it's just no communication at all. So yeah, I think that's obviously only one small example. But you extrapolate that and look at them; they are conceding a lot. Um, you would have to imagine that replacing an entire back line and starting a, a season in a league higher than you've been used to um, is going to have a 
it's going to have some kind of impact. I suppose it, it doesn't always read across that it will be uh, dreadful at the start. You sometimes get away with it for a little while. Sometimes things just click instantly and, and partnerships form brilliantly immediately. But I guess that's not been the case for, for Fulham so far. So, yeah, I think there's there's definitely something in that point, Kev. Yeah, it's that old debate, isn't it, Kev, about uh, exactly how long it takes new signings to jail. Uh, you know, do you need them... Uh, in the the build up to your to the start of the season for your preseason tour or whatever it is you're you're bothered with uh, or you know the commitments that they have in in uh, tournaments and that sort of thing. But also you know don't forget Wolves also made a, a whole bunch of signings uh, in the off season and they were they were already a pretty strong team coming up anyway. So it's going to be interesting to to just compare uh, Wolves with uh, the other teams that came up. Uh, and see if that's the yardstick that we're going to have to um, judge them by. Yeah, Fulham have certainly struggled. I'm not sure whether or not um, they'll be in the relegation fight. I would assume they won't because you'd assume this communication would improve um, throughout the season. And I I agree with uh, Richard's early point that Yukonovic is a very good manager. And um, I wrote an article a few years back on ways to avoid relegation, and one of them was uh, if you have a goal scorer score more than like twelve. Sorry, if you have a striker score more than twelve goals um, in in your first promoted season, you basically stay up statistically. I think there's been two times in the last ten years where that hasn't been the case. Um, and having somebody like Mitrovic up front that has started so well, Everton a little bit to the side, uh, I think mm-hmm. is promising for them. But when it comes to the sides that could be in trouble for relegation, uh, Jake, who often talks about Newcastle on this very show, uh, kind of uh, posed the question of, is, is, has there been another time where in September, of course this is going to be published in October, but where in September it felt pretty clear which three teams were all going down, referring to Newcastle, Huddersfield, and Cardiff. Do you think those three clubs are the ones most in trouble, and is it crazy to think that this early in the season? No, it's not crazy at all, but I don't agree with the premise of, of the three. I, th- I think Cardiff and Huddersfield are in, are in trouble. They're in big trouble, and that's going to be a real challenge for them to turn that around. Uh, Newcastle, you know, you've got teams like Newcastle, Southampton, um, Brighton could still get dragged back into this. And, and uh, you know, we've, we talked about Fulham as well. Um it's the goals conceded. It's the number of goals that you're actually letting in is going to be an issue. And obviously, you know, you're compounding the Newcastle problem with uh, the issues off the field as well. So that's always going to be going to be a problem. But um, but no, I don't think it's cut and dried yet that um, uh, that those three will go down. I, mean, I think certainly certainly Huddersfield it's going to be tough for them. I mean, they they would probably admit themselves they should have gone down last year, to be honest, but uh, great credit to them for, again, pulling out one of those great escapes. Um, Cardiff, I haven't seen anything of them uh, in the highlights that I've seen so far to, to show that they're actually um, stepping up. Uh, stepping up a division, but then of course you know we we play them this coming weekend, so there's uh, there's always the the, the fate of uh, eating your words after the weekend. But um, no, I think I think it's still too early, Kev, uh, to be honest. Although those two teams, Cardiff and Huddersfield, unfortunately, I think are in are in big trouble. Yeah, I mean, again, not to well at the risk of taking a very insular view of this. Um, I was in Cardiff recently for the Cardiff City game. Um, oh, sorry, I say the Cardiff and Manchester City game, and mm. 
Cardiff were terrible. I mean, for the first 30 minutes, they did a good job of closing out space, um, which is a very predictable way that they were going to play, but I don't blame them. They were they clearly didn't think they had much chance of winning the game. So they did a good job for 30 minutes of making it a little bit frustrating. Um, City were trying to go over the top quite a lot and, and Cardiff forced that. But as soon as, um, as Aguero scored the first, Cardiff had absolutely nothing in response and one of the things that was really notable about them um, not to pigeonhole Neil Warnock too much um, but there was no fight about them there was no physicality and one part of me sort of thinks well is that good does that mean that Warnock's trying to evolve and not just relying on the things that have not fared well for him in the Premier League before Um, but then there's another part of me that thinks you really can't teach an old dog new tricks and uh, in that regard Warnock is very much an old dog isn't he so that that lack of it's not a lack of effort but that lack of obvious fight and getting stuck in and that kind of physicality that teams at the lower end often use against the the more flair teams and the the fancy teams getting in the faces um, there was just none of it and I don't know whether that was intentional or whether they wanted to do that but just couldn't get near City but I only recall like one bad tackle um, and we had plenty of them when we played them in the cup last year so yeah it was just odd there was so little um, Huddersfield I think have looked uh, have looked terrible in almost every time I've seen them play again particularly against City we beat them 6-1 six, six, and they were bad um, their problem is they just don't score goals. They don't have a goal scorer. Is it, I'm trying to remember the stat that I heard recently, I should have had it to hand really, but is it something like March or April was the last time they scored more than one in a game? And obviously mm. you have a summer period that accounts for part of that gap, so it does become a bit misleading. Um, but it is a problem for them. And so at the moment they're just in that rut where they know that they're not playing well. They're effectively going into games knowing that they're going to concede at least one goal, but in the likelihood multiple, and that they don't have an effective response to that. And they're they're proving that week in, week out. And I would imagine it must just feel like a chore to them at the moment, going on the pitch and try and, and getting through a game and trying to pick up that elusive three points. I know there's a few teams in that boat at the moment, but... I think Huddersfield and Huddersfield and Cardiff particularly don't look like they have much of a way out of it. Uh, Newcastle, I believe in Benitez as a manager too much to think that they can be written off in September, October. What Benitez does really, really well um, and what he gets a lot of criticism for when he plays against City, Chelsea, Tottenham, etc. He gets criticism for the way he plays and shutting up shop, but they don't take a single hammering. It's very, very rare they take a massive beating. And you look what that did for them last year. They got to 10th because that must have done wonders for the confidence. They could come off the pitch against a City or a Chelsea thinking they've only got to beat 1-0 or a Liverpool. Um, and th- th- they've sort of heads held high. You look at Cardiff this season. They've already conceded um, four to Chelsea, five to City. Huddersfield, six to City. Those kind of things take the toll. Um, so I think Newcastle are a, a, an entirely different proposition. Um, but and and the the variables with Cardiff and Huddersfield and and Cardiff in particular are that they might sack the manager in a couple of weeks. I'd say Huddersfield are less likely to do that with Wagner. I would say, but Cardiff 
that Cardiff will have to act soon because Warnock, I mean, he barely wins Premier League games, never mind relegation battles. Uh, I was surprised that he signed a new contract and started the season because he's always been on record as saying how much he doesn't like the Premier League in the first place. Mm. So, yeah, I think Warnock will go and maybe that will, if, if Cardiff bring a good manager in, a uh, good manager at this level, then maybe that they'll have a turnaround in fortune. But I think they're going to have to act fast. Yeah, well, I, I think, think that... Uh, sorry, Kev. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we played Huddersfield last week and uh, we were far from uh, on top form. But uh, you never got a sense that they were ever going to give us a game. But I think that's a very good point about um, about Warnock. Uh, that I think if Cardiff, you know, it it it's too early to say that it's set in stone. But I, I, I from what I've seen, uh, I think they they need a big change, and that could be the biggest change uh, if they can get somebody uh, at that level that um, that can actually just galvanize the galvanize the club. Yeah, I think Huddersfield could be okay because they actually play some pretty decent stuff in the midfield. There's just no attack, really. Uh, Van Lepara is fast, so sometimes that creates stuff, but he didn't play against us. Um, but the striker position is just not good for them. Mounier was decent in France, but just clearly hasn't done it in the Premier League. Um, on the uh, Cardiff side, they bought in the summer like they were going to be in the championship next year. And it seems like they've kind of ha- have a self-fulfilling prophecy there. Warnock prefers being in the championship, which he was quoted saying recently. They bought a squad that would do very well in the championship, but probably doesn't have the right level for, for the Premier League. So while I, I agree that maybe getting Warnock could help, I, I don't think they have the squad to stay up. I think Huddersfield could could manage it. I agree. I, I like Wagner as a manager, but um, I, I do think both of them are, are largely doomed unless something big does happen. Uh, between now and January, and then maybe buy some players and see what happens. But I, I think both of them are pretty much down. I do agree. I'm not sure Newcastle are as doomed, but I can fully understand why a Newcastle fan would feel like they were. All right, uh, we are going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. All right, and we are back. Uh, Richard, we'll start with Manchester City. Um, there has been a lot of news swirling about uh, Mendy of late and his uh, lateness to training and his injury and being dropped out of first-team training. Uh, could you give us a little better sense uh, uh, from your understanding of what's going on with Benjamin Mendy uh, at the club at the moment? 
um, yes, I can. And there is also some stuff that I absolutely can't say on air that um, that has been happening with Benjamin Mendy. Um, he he at the moment is a problem, um, and I think quite a big one. Uh, and it's made all the more frustrating by the fact that he's a he's a hell of a footballer. But at the moment, he's in uh, he's in real danger of I think messing up his future at City and in turn um, threatening to, because of how he is off the pitch, um, threatening to become a bit of a, I suppose, a wasted talent. And I know it's, it's really early to say that. So just to be clear, I'm not saying I think that will happen. Um, but if he carries on the way he's going at the moment, that is the only way it can finish. Um, I trust City and trust Guardiola to um, be able to convince him to alter his ways. But yeah, he's the... It came out after the Arsenal game at the uh, the first game of the season. It came out after that that he'd been fined in the lead up to that for being late to training. And you sort of think, well, that can happen. Um, you know, I'm sure we've all done it. We, um, you, you misjudge the traffic or you wake up late. You can be late to work. Um, for City to issue a fine and for that to be leaked and become public, uh, when you would imagine it, other players have done it, um, would suggest that it's more of an ongoing concern than just a one-off. Um, they had him at City's insistence, uh, and I think I think Guardiola's insistence, but certainly um, club enforced. They moved him away from the city centre to a quieter area, um, more in the sort of suburbs around Manchester, uh, to reduce his distractions that he might uh, that he might be sort of tempted by in the city or that he might be faced with. Um, he's been given a driving ban that wasn't directly for speeding, but it was for failing, for four times failing to answer uh, the charge and, and or failing to confirm who was driving um, when his car was caught speeding. Um, there's just a lot of little things at the moment. There was another, um, I can say this because I know that this was in an article over the weekend, there was another incident between the Arsenal game at the start of the season and the Huddersfield game, which is our second game, there was an incident between them um, that could have been very, very serious. Um, it didn't didn't amount to anything, and clearly Guardiola was happy enough to to play Mendy in that game. And in fact, um, Mendy was exceptional in that game. He won rave reviews for for how good he was. Um, but it was an incident that, in line with everything else, um, it, it was not a good thing to uh, to have against his name. And so, with this latest stuff that's come out about him being late for his um, being late for his treatment whilst he's injured, and um, being, I, I think it's been said that he was excluded from the squad for a week. Like that, that's pretty serious stuff because the guy is he's potentially hugely hugely important he gives Guardiola an entirely different option in how we play because he's so good out wide he's so good at crossing um his defending at times of season has left a little bit to be desired but I think um on the charitable side of that we can say well really he might be a year into England but he's only about seven games into a Premier League career so we can we can afford him that as an excuse and say he's still getting used to defending in the Premier League. No problem with that. Um, but if you take, if his behaviour starts affecting his performance, then then we lose that. 
we, we lose that option and Guardiola will only put up with it for so long. Um, so it is a concern at the moment. I think what came across last season as the happy-go-lucky and cheerful even through the adversity of a season-long injury, uh, very amusing social media presence which sort of shone a light onto the team spirit around the club. Well, sorry, around the team and the, the general vibe around the club. Um, suddenly that's gone quiet. Obviously, Guardiola made a comment about that at the start of the season as well. And for the last week or so, he, he's not been posting anything on his Twitter or Instagram, which is notable um, because he's conspicuous by his absence. Uh, is a bit of a concern at the moment, is, uh, is Mr Mendy. But like I say, I have faith that Guardiola will sort of whip him into shape. But it's it's a bit concerning that a player at this level sort of seems to need that. Yeah. Um, are you confident in any of the potential replacements for him within the squad? Or if you think this gets worse, would you pursue that position in January? I think uh, Delph was so good last season that he's proven that he can be a, a, an effective left back. The team, the team don't lose out for having him there. But what they gain when they have Mendy is huge because that's his natural position. Delft doesn't get up and down the wing in the same way. He can't swing a ball in in the same way. But he's perfectly competent in that position, as is Zinchenko. In fact, Zinchenko was a huge part of uh, why we beat Brighton at weekend because although we dominated that game, uh, there was a, a three or four times at least in the first half when Brighton looked to spring a ball down the right. And were it not for some incredibly well-timed interceptions by Zinchenko that have been through and then all it would have taken would have been a good ball into the box and we might have found ourselves um, conceding one or two goals against the run of play but it was it was clearly something that they targeted uh, and Zinchenko was brilliant there and his switching of play um, I mean, he was pinging sort of 50, 60 yard balls quite regularly from left back out to um, Sané, Sterling, Bernardo uh he, he, he was excellent. So I don't really have concerns that we're in trouble without Mendy. And so I don't think it makes, um, I don't think it means that we have to urgently look for a left back. We can bide our time. But certainly it, it would be very disappointing to have another season, either through injury or otherwise, where Mendy isn't available to us because what he gives us when he's on top form is hugely, hugely significant and makes us very hard to live with. Yeah, and then let's just uh, touch on one thing quickly. Aguero signed an extension, um, which we talked about in the preseason, was something that either had or hadn't happened, but now it's both happened and been announced. Uh, do you think that changes his role at City this year now that it's uh, pretty much ensured that he'll be here beyond the off season? Yeah, I think one of the questions I actually thought about this um, when it was announced, one of the questions that you asked me at the start of the season was how many games would he play? Um, and I think I suggested that this might be the year when, though it wasn't what I would advocate, this might be the year when Pep really put Jesus in ahead of him. But Aguero continues to prove that actually with um, the work that he's put in and for all these rumours about him not having a great relationship with Guardiola, that stuff doesn't matter. If it's true, it doesn't matter. You don't have to have a fantastic personal relationship with your manager to do a good job and Aguero is living proof of that. He was already a fine, fine footballer, already one of the best strikers that the Premier League has ever seen, to be quite honest. Um he has moulded his game, he has adapted, he works his backside off. Both of our goals against Brighton were proof of um, the, the different way that he can play when he picked the ball up deep, drove at the defence and laid the ball off um, once for Sterling to score, once for him to then follow it up and score himself. He is an exceptional footballer and actually partly through his own 
brilliance and improvement because he is a better footballer now than he was when Guardiola took over and um, but and partly through that but also partly through Jesus being in a bit of a hinterland at the moment of maybe not quite knowing what kind of footballer he's supposed to be whether he's a goal scorer whether he's somebody who holds the ball up and connects play um, he's not in great form at the moment Aguero is well out ahead in front that doesn't mean that He'll never be rotated, but if at the moment it was straight choice of who's going to give the team more, uh, there's absolutely no question that it's Aguero. And so, yeah, he's on for he's on for a lot of goals again this season, fitness allowing. Um, and next season, there's no reason why he shouldn't carry on being around the sort of 30 goal mark and more, to be honest, if he stays fit. All right, well, certainly promising there. Um, Steve, coming to you now to talk about Tottenham. Um, pretty disappointing loss to uh, Inter Milan in the first uh, Champions League uh, match of the season. I compared this one to the first uh, Dortmund match last season, where I basically felt if we won it, we'd probably be in a pretty secure position to advance. If we didn't, we wouldn't. Obviously, that loss then makes us have a very difficult battle, obviously, Barcelona midweek. Um, but having lost that first match, what are your expectations of Tottenham's Champions League run now? Well, it's funny, Kevin, because I actually, in that Inter defeat, I saw shades of the Juventus game rather than the Dortmund game. Yeah. The way in which we... We were able. We we weren't able to manage the game out from a position of strength. Even when when Juve equalised, um, uh, and we would still go through, we weren't able to manage the game. And that was we saw that absolutely uh, writ large in that in that Inter Milan game. It was, it was a very very disappointing game. And I I know you and I have talked on here before about you know. <laughs> The, the value that you put on winning trophies. And and for me, it's just that you progress year on year as a team. And part of that progression has to be that you learn from your mistakes. And I, it was it was like watching the Juve game over again, uh, essentially how we, how we threw that game away against Inter. Um, you know, it, 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 we, we haven't had the best start to the season. I know that's, that's difficult to... to to say, given that we, you know, we we beat Man United three 0 and and actually, you know, were good value for it and played them off the park. Um, but it's it, Wednesday's game is going to be is going to be tough, I think, against against Barca. But um, going back to what I said earlier about Pochettino's motivation and the fact that you know he's he has the Espanol background and he's able to. Uh, rise or uh, try and get the team to rise to to the occasion. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see who's who's in and who's out because one of the one of the unfortunately one of the thing Harry gets all the headlines obviously, but one of the things that has I think has hampered us uh, so far this season has been the lack of form and the injuries to both Ericsson and Delhi and and the fact that they you know Ericsson hasn't clicked in the games that he's played. Delhi has been injured and you know that that needs to be addressed um and again of course that that then leads to people sort of criticizing the club for for not many making any signings in the, in the off season um and and you and I've talked about this before again it's like uh, i i'm against making signings just for the sake of of signing players uh if the right player is available you have to go into each season thinking that every uh position on your team can be upgraded if the right player is available uh, clearly, Potch and, and Levy between them decided that the team that we had uh, that, that did so well last season, um, and, and again, this is the issue. And Harry Harry Redknapp men- mentioned it on the 
on the TV the other night. How do you go to someone and say to them, we want you to come to our club, but you're not going to be the first choice? That then inevitably takes you down a road of only having a certain caliber of player. And that's not improving the team. That's not upgrading the team. But I think the, the big issue that we have to address sort of going forward, which uh, has raised its head, is, is what, what happens with Musa. Musa Dembele, you know, obviously one of the first names on the, on the team sheet when he's fit. Uh, but long term, what do we, you know, what do we, how do we work in the sort of Eric Dyer, Harry Winks, uh, Wanyama combinations to, uh, to compensate for the times when Musa's not there? So, so I, th- I think it's been, a, it's been a patchy start. We've played some great football. Moura has been fantastic. Obviously, Lamella has, you know, hot at the moment. Son is, is great. Um, I, I think it's too early to get a sense of whether there's something to worry about, you know what I mean? But I am worried about, uh, about the midfield a little bit with, uh, with Musa. Yeah, uh, very similar thinking here because my follow-up question was already, what is your ideal midfield pairing? Because we saw at the weekend Dembele and Dyer get like their fifth or sixth consecutive start in all competitions. Um, and there is we have not looked good in central midfield. Then Dyer got pushed back to center back because we pulled off Jan. Um, and Dembele came off and I think Winks came on. And so all of a sudden it was Winks and Wanyama in midfield, and all of a sudden we dominated the midfield until the match was over, much in the way that we did not control the midfield against Inter Milan or the Juve match, as you mentioned previously. So if you had your druthers, which two central midfielders would you deploy together at the moment? Well, at the moment, it would, it would, for me, it would be Winks. It Winks every time. Winks is the future of our midfield, I think. I think if he gets back to the player that he was before he had that terrible ankle injury, uh, I think he's absolutely the sort of player that we build our midfield around. Again, we have to say, who's his best partner? At the moment, it's probably Musa, uh, Winks and Musa. Um, but, you know, it's the unpredictability of what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis. I, I like, I'm, you know, we, again, we've talked again about what's Dyer's favorite position or where's, where's he most uh, uh, functional uh, but he gives you that flexibility within a game as well. If the game's not um, not turning out the way uh, Potch planned, then uh, we have a little bit of flexibility that we can move Eric around. Um, I, I think we're lucky to have the midfielders that we do. I just think we have to address the idea that perhaps... I mean, Moose is, what, 30, 30 31 now? Yeah, uh, we have to, Yeah, we have to address the fact that um, you know we can't always rely on that calibre uh, of of midfielder, but for me, uh, absolutely, I want to build the midfield around around Harry Winks. Yeah, for me, I think we accidentally stumbled upon it, which was Winks and Wanyama, and I'd love to see that, especially because Winks, um, in a sample size of two, has done incredibly well against Spanish clubs. Um, the way he, he uh, truly, truly handled the midfield against Real Madrid. And in the second match, it was just him. We basically played a 4-1-4-1, and he was the one stuck dealing with, with Modric and Cruz. And he did an incredibly admirable job, considering we hadn't really seen much of him because of that injury before that. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Winks. And he brings passing in central midfield, which 
sometimes we can get away with if we have both Erickson, Deli, and sometimes Lamella on the pitch. But in the absence of both Erickson and Deli Ali, which it looks like we will be midweek, um, I think Winks becomes all the more important there. And Wanyama is just better than Dyer as a defensive midfielder. He he just is. His passing, the the thing that used to differentiate them was in the four two three one. You preferred Dyer because of his passing, but his passing has been atrocious this season. So I'd rather have somebody that'll actually break up play. Um, and just lay it off to either Dembele or Winks next to him than Dyer, who's currently finding you know the coaching staff on the sideline before he's actually finding his own teammates. Yeah. I also actually have to mention how good Trippier has been the last few games. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, he has just uh, really stepped up when we need him to step up. But, but again, part of the problem is we need the back four to be able to cover for him or the back three if we're playing with a back three. Because uh, sometimes he'll, you know, he'll get caught uh, a little bit out of position, and we get caught on the break. But uh, for what he brings going forward in terms of uh, the contribution to a link-up play with Harry, particularly, uh, is is uh, something that um, uh, I'm really, really pleased about, and hopefully uh, he can he can continue to improve. Yeah, I, I haven't actually been able to confirm this or not, but uh, there was a stat floating around today that uh, no two players have combined for more goals since the beginning of last season than Trippier and Kane. Oh, is that right? I, that, that wouldn't surprise me, actually. Yeah, I saw it. My initial thought was Azpilicueta to Morata, which they did like four times in the first month last season. But then, right. obviously, Morata started struggling and then lost his job. But uh, that well, is also, a thing that might be true. Sorry. When, when Trippier takes the, uh, the set pieces, of course, that's... Uh, uh, you know, is it, I'd like to see the stats for set pieces versus yeah. open play. Well, but uh, certainly, what Trippier brings to us is uh, is a huge positive. Agreed. And also, shout out to Danny Rose on the other side, who came from the transfer list to being clearly better than Ben Davis thus far this season and winning that job back. So, uh, another very important player to us when he's on form. Again, though, it goes back to this whole argument about if you don't sign somebody. Uh, you're saying to the players that you have, we have, on the one hand, we have faith in you. We know that there's nobody out there that we can go and get who would displace you from uh, from your starting position. But then look at the complacency that that theoretically could uh, could engender. You know, we have three or four very very good subs on the bench. You know that that, that we can bring on to to shake things up. But what we really want is two high caliber players at each position. Mm-hmm. And we're close to it. We are. Um, we are. All right. Uh, now we'll head into Player Watch, where I thought we'd discuss which players are most in and out of form at your club. Richard will lead in with you in Manchester City. Um, most in form. Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to go for Emmerich, for Emmerich Laporte. Um, he's the only player so far to be an ever-present in the league, which... I think is um, is no small feat, really. I know we're still early in the season, but with rotation being uh, being the name of the game these days and being such a key part of how Guardiola manages his squad, and with Laporte being the newest of our available centre backs, I think um, I, I think it's hugely impressive actually that he's that he's already achieved that, or that he that he's been trusted so regularly. I think our best back to and our first choice back to now really is Stones and Laporte. They are clearly the future of that defence. Um, but 
and and I, I sort of see at the moment I would see Stones as the lead in that back two. Well, certainly that's how I've seen it this season that his sort of maturity and, and having been the lead in England's defence at the World Cup um, next to Harry Maguire, uh, um, I think Stones has really come on. But but actually Laporte, he's just very very assured, and he, he sort of for a centre back goes about his business quite quietly but he's just he's so smooth he's so good on the ball um his defending is excellent he's already got himself a goal this season which um isn't a typical part of his game as a centre-back but um he's becoming more of a threat at set pieces I would say um so he's he's never going to be the headline grabber when you've got the likes of Sterling, Sané, De Bruyne, uh, obviously De Bruyne is injured but usually um Aguero and and, and the rest up front He's never you, your headline maker, but he's he's just so good and so consistent that he's looking like a, a really, really astute buy. Um, for most out of form, um, I don't really know if I could pick one, to be honest. I, I suppose I'd go... Well, uh, sorry, I should say I can't pick one that I haven't already said. Um Jesus would probably be my most out of form player. I think it's gone maybe a little bit under the radar that he's not not really pulling up trees at the moment. Obviously, he had his injury last season. In fact, he's had injuries in both of his seasons with us and that have kept him out at really inopportune times. But I think people forget that actually he was out of form before his injury last year. I think it was... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was... I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head, but either no goals or, or one goal in the 11 or 12 appearances leading up to the injury. Which... Fantasy players will not forget. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure. he's. So, yeah, I mean, and obviously goal scoring isn't everything. There is a, a, a huge part of his game is about playing with his back to goal and, and bringing in other players. And he does do that well. But at the moment, I think he's... Not through fault of his own, but through how people perceive him. I still think he's trading a little bit on that start that he made with us, where he was scoring in almost every game, um, and he looked like a real live wire. And it's it's really starting to look like that isn't his game at all. And by no means do I mean this is to be you know sort of mega critical of him because he's still a young lad, still learning the game. Um, but it's just not, I don't think it's quite what we expected. And he is, I think I said before, that he's in this middle ground of not quite knowing actually what kind of player he is at the moment. Um, and we could do with working that out soon for uh, just for his own development. So by no means a, a writing him off. But honestly, if, if you're giving the players a scorecard, uh, his is probably the one that checks out lowest at the moment. Interesting stuff. And uh, Steve, who do you think has been most in and out of form at Tottenham thus far? Well, I mean, we talked about it in the last segment there, but I think Trippier has really uh, been playing really good stuff at the moment. And uh, Lamella and, and Mura uh, also very hot. Uh, also, I, I mentioned for Paulo Gazaniga, who's uh, come in in the absence of yeah. uh, of Loris and has done okay, actually. I mean, uh, yeah, well, I... I we talked at the start of the season about how we'd like him to get some, uh, you know, a good run of complete games. And I think that's, uh, that's done him well. It's done, it stood him in good stead. So, um, yeah, no, I'm very happy with, uh, with how he has come in and, and helped out. Uh, but Trippier definitely, um, seems to be the man of the moment. Um, uh, disappointing 
Dyer, as you as you mentioned, Kevin, I mean, Dyer's uh, passing has been uh, less than I think even he would admit uh, is the, the quality required. Um, other than that, uh, it depends on the circumstances, to be honest with you. Individual players have, have disappointing games, but um, I don't think there's anybody consistently who's really underachieving at the moment. Uh, obviously, you know, when, when uh, Christian Eriksson and, and Delhi are, uh, are fully fit, then we'll need them to, to sort of click and step up. And I think once that happens and we get back to, uh, to the way we were playing last year and the way we were approaching games last year, uh, I think there's, there's a lot more uh, good things to come from the, the, the team. But uh, generally... Uh, it's a it's a patchy start, but but generally we're heading in the right direction. All right, and we will wrap up with a couple of uh, Champions League previews since uh, all representatives here are going to be doing that. Uh, Virgil will lead in with you. Uh, City going to be facing Hoffenheim on Tuesday. Uh, how do you see this match going? Um. Well, it, we've got to be better than we were against Leon because we were poor in that game and suddenly and unexpectedly we find ourselves in a position where uh, this game becomes really important to to win it because losing your first game as we experienced in what feels like the distant past now um, winning your first game or the, the, the difference sorry between winning and losing your first game in a, in a six game group is huge I think everybody would expect City to still get out of the group you'd probably still expect them to do it in first place and if anything the only hopefully the only real difference that the Leon defeat should have made is that if you're a betting man then after that game was probably your best time to bet on City winning the Champions League because before that a, a whole lot of bookies had them as favourites um, which may have altered slightly after a surprising defeat uh, this will be I mean it's hard to preview a City game these days and say anything different any time you would expect City to go in on the front foot and you'd expect them to look to make a, a quick start to really try and establish a, a bit of a authority in this game just just to make sure that Hoffenheim don't think that they can um, they can take advantage of any nerves that might be present as a result of how important this game has now become. Um, squad selection is absolutely impossible to predict these days. You can just never call it because Guardiola rotates so much. He's got so many different tactical options available to him that uh, it almost makes predicting a team uh, a redundant exercise. Um, again, another nightmare for those of you that play fantasy football, I would think. Um, yeah, he's. Um, it, it will be about trying to assert an early dominance like we did in the games last year against Feyenoord and Basel, where those games were over before they'd even begun. Um, I would expect an attempt at the same. And uh, I would, being quite honest, I would expect a City win. All right, and Steve, we kind of prefaced the Tottenham match a little bit earlier in the show. Um, how do you think Tottenham will set up for this one? Well, I mean, that's the thing. We're going to we're going to be without Delhi, and I think an awful lot is going to depend on uh, whether or not Jan is fit uh, as well. But th- I, this is a this is a must win for us, and uh, it's terrible to sort of say that for your second game in the group. But uh, when you think back to how we how well we did in the in the home games in the group stages last year that was effectively what what 
sealed our um, our progression. So yeah, I think after the, uh, that disappointing, very very disappointing loss against Inter in the first game, uh, I think we absolutely have to go for this and and win it. So uh, I I would expect. I would expect Harry Winks to start. We were talking about him earlier, and uh, and probably Mura, probably Lamella, um, but uh, we'll we'll see how we go. I think, um, yeah, I, th- I, I, I there's been a, a couple of stories about who Barcelona are not going to have in their in their squad this time. Uh, I don't think that really matters. Uh, a, a team like that is is very strong, no matter who's on the park for them. Although, mind you. Their um, their away record last year in the group stages was not uh, was not stellar. So there's always the possibility that um, you know they don't like to travel um, uh, for a game that um, uh, that they they think might be um, might be a throwaway. So we'll see. We'll see. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's we're gonna miss we're gonna miss Jan if he's not fit. Uh, that's all I'm gonna say. But uh, I, I still think we can we can pull it out. All right, I certainly like that optimism, uh, and that will be where we leave the show today. So if you guys would like to tell folks where they could find you or anything you're working on, now would be a good time. Yeah, I'm on Twitter, at Richard the Burns, and I am a member of the Blue Moon podcast, uh, which is a dedicated Manchester City podcast released every Friday. Um, I am a member of a rotating panel, so you don't always have to put up with me. Um, I do write two blogs a week. Uh, sorry, no, I don't. Two blogs a month for the Blue Moon podcast, um, which is uh, available to people who back us on Patreon uh, for the princely sum of $2 a month, if anybody is interested in that. Thank you very much for listening. Yep, thanks for having me on again, Kev. Uh, my name's Steve McGookin, and you can get me on Twitter at Steve McGookin, M-C-G-O-O-K-I-N. Uh, as I say, you can join the conversation at nyspurs.com or nyspurs.com or nyspurs on Twitter. And for my non-football writing, if you're interested, you can uh, get me at northernslant.com. Thanks again for having me on. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at KevRoth on Twitter. Uh, You can find my writings over at uh, goal.com, as well as uh, this week I'll be putting up my second article for ESPN, uh, for ESPN Fantasy, which is just a ridiculous thing. But if you're interested in uh, talking about the fantasy side of what's going on at Manchester United, that'll be over there. And as always, keep it tuned on this channel for both the FPL Roundtable and the Championship Roundtable, which obviously address the topics that are in their names. Um, but thanks to you two so much for joining us. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 